This past week, I stood at a chilly graveside with a small circle of family and friends as we laid to rest one of the great saints of our church family. We took time there, as often happens in moments like this, to do a bit of sharing around the grave. We told stories about how God had used this man's life to shape our lives for the better as a spouse, as children, as friends and mentees, uh, neighbors and fellow church members. Uh, All of us knew something about the man. None of us knew all there was to say about him. But I think it's safe to say that it was his wife who knew the most. As we walked away from the graveside, his bride gave to me an envelope. And inside of the envelope, I subsequently discovered, was a, a very kind gift to me and my family, enfolded in a note that simply read, Please enjoy dinner with your lovely wife. Every minute together is precious. As I read the note for the first time, I'll confess to you that my first response was a bit self-focused. My immediate uh, response was to think, oh, how, how great is this? I mean, this is delightful. My wife Amy and I are coming up on our 22nd wedding anniversary in just a few weeks' time. I'm going to take her out for dinner with this. And then as I sat in the car and I read the note over again, the deeper significance of what had been said there began to really settle in for me. The woman who had written this note with trembling hand had been there on their 11th anniversary. She had been there on their 22nd anniversary as a married couple. She had been with her husband on their 32nd and on their 42nd, and on their 52nd, and 62nd, and 72nd year of life together. She had spent countless hours in the company of this man. She had traveled with him all across the country, making a home with him in so many places. She had birthed and raised and buried children with him. She had soaked in about as much of his heart and mind and soul and strength it was possible for one person to know about another person. And still, even after having spent most of her 90-plus years of life with this one individual, taking him in, loving him, it was not quite enough. And so she had urged me in trembling hand on that note... Please, please, pay close attention. Spend this time. Remember, every minute together is so precious. When we meet him, In our biblical lesson for today, Jesus 
has entered into the company of people who do not fully understand yet how precious is the time that they have together. In the 10th chapter of Luke's Gospel, we're told that as Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now we know from other passages of the Scripture that this village in question is actually the town of Bethany. Bethany was located just over the hilltop of the Mount of Olives, just two miles away from the place where Jesus would be laid in a grave eventually. We do not know exactly why it was his habit to come to that particular house, but that it was his habit, we do know. We know from numerous other passages in the scriptures that Jesus often came to this particular house where Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus lived. Whenever he went up to Jerusalem for the holidays, Jesus would stop and stay at this particular house. Was it because being in the midst of this trinity of love reminded him of that place from which he'd come that made him feel especially comfortable there? I, I don't know. Could it be because Martha really knew how to put on a good feed? Was that the reason why he came? Knowing that it was his destiny to return to the great banquet above in time. Was it that Lazarus was such a divine companion, such good company that accounts for the fact that sometime later when Jesus learned of the death of this friend... As nowhere else, it is recorded that Jesus wept. Or was it less because of Martha and Lazarus that Jesus came? Was it because there was something about Mary, as that scripture text suggests, something about Mary that Jesus especially cherished? and from which we can, to this day, learn. Picture with me, if you would, a house, something like the one in which you might spend the holiday that's coming our way in days ahead. The house is bustling with noise from all the people that have come thronging there. You can see Lazarus sprawled on the floor, perhaps. Imagine him lying there on the floor, his hand reaching up absentmindedly for the bowl of chips behind him. And the disciples are splayed out all over the furniture, as men will do. And they're all focused on the game, maybe. I don't know. Picture this. And in the kitchen is Martha. Martha is working away in the kitchen, distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, the Bible says. She's basting the turkey with one hand. She's stirring the gravy with the other hand. She's pushing away the dog with her foot. She's wishing she had another hand to go after buttering the beans. I I don't know. But the Bible says that That Mary wasn't in the living room with the boys. She wasn't in the kitchen with Mary. 
or with Martha. She was sitting at the Lord's feet, the Bible says. She was sitting at the feet of the Lord, just listening to what he said. What I want you to understand is that that these positions were very familiar ones for these players. Jumping ahead another year or more, we read in John's Gospel that six days before the Passover feast, Jesus arrived at Bethany. Just six days before the final Passover feast of Jesus' life, when he would transform the the remembrance of how God had once saved Israel from bondage into a remembrance that would transcend that era and remind us all of how God saved all people from bondage to sin and death. Just six days before that Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, the Bible says. And he chooses to stop over in the same house again. And the Bible tells us that here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Are you getting this? What's Lazarus doing? He's kicking back again. What's Martha doing? What's Martha Stewart doing? She's putting on her kitchen show again. And what about Mary? What about Mary? What's she doing? Well, you can see it. Mary is focusing all of her attention directly on Jesus again. And the Bible says that Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and she wiped his feet with her hair. Now Mary could not possibly have fully known what she was doing. She couldn't have possibly known the significance of what she was doing in light of what was to come. She couldn't have understood fully, I think at this moment, that what she was actually doing was anointing Jesus for his coming burial. But she lavished everything she had on him just the same. There is something that Mary knows There's something that it's easy, I think, in this world of Lazarus-like diversions and Martha-like distractions to miss uh, very easily ourselves. It's what that woman that I met at that other grave I told you about this past week understood clearly too. Mary understood that when you are in the presence of someone worthy, every minute together, is precious. Now, I do not want to start a fight in your home this Thanksgiving. So let me be very clear about something. There is nothing wrong with putting your feet up and watching the game now and then. Okay? Life runs us hard. It is good to stop and to rest. And there's nothing wrong with that being part of the celebration. 
There is also something fantastic about those people who mash the potatoes or make the pumpkin pie or pickle the wombat or whatever it is that says Thanksgiving to you. Thank God for these people. Right? Where would the world be without those who know how to rest and those who know how to work? Right? They, they are prophets to us in important ways. But most of all, what this world needs, most of all, what our world today desperately needs are people who know how to give their full and unfaltering attention to the one in the room with whom every minute is truly precious. You are going to be with people worthy of that kind of focus from you this week. You are. And if you are more interested in the outcome of the game or whatever it is that's on the screen or in your focus, if you're more interested in that than in that child who wants to show you something or that person who is telling you something that is actually unveiling something of their precious heart and mind and hopes and hurts, if you're more concerned with what's going on over there instead of what's happening with this precious person, think again. If you are more obsessed with getting the gravy just right, then with tuning into the heart and mind of that person with whom you won't have every holiday ahead, or who will not have you at the holiday ahead, then think again about what you're doing. You may not get 72 years with that person. You may not get 72 hours more with that person. Don't arrive at the graveside with fewer stories to tell than was possible. Don't arrive at the graveside less equipped to talk about the mystery and the beauty and the goodness of that life. Don't let them get there without more to say about you. What or who is worthy of your greatest attention in the days ahead? At that feast in Bethany long ago, Lazarus was too wrapped up in his diversions, perhaps, to get it. Martha was too distracted by her preparations to see it. But Mary understood that every minute she had with Jesus was very precious. Remember that for yourself, too, would you? Remember that the holidays ahead are times when it is enormously important to focus yourself upon the amazing one who will be in your home this season, who's in the house with us here this very morning. I began our series on discovering God several months ago with 
a quotation from A.W. Tozer. Tozer contended that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. History will positively demonstrate that no religion, and I would add no society or individual, has ever been greater than its idea of God. It is impossible, writes Tozer, to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our vision of God is inadequate. If we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, he writes, we must begin to think of God more and more nearly as he is. Think of him more and think of him more nearly as he is. I'm convinced that our list of thanksgivings will always be too short. Our list of grievances will always be too long. Our weight of discouragement will always be too heavy if we do not, like Mary, fix our gaze upon Jesus and open our eyes to his words. And so I want to invite you today to think with me one more time about the magnificent nature of the one who's in the house with us today. And it will be with you this week to come. He is the all-sufficient one. Remember this. He is the one who needed nothing, who needed no one to be perpetually joyful and content. And yet, out of his divine, magnificent fullness, he chose to give us life, to create a universe that we might have the unsurpassable privilege of knowing him. He is with you right now. He is responsible for your existence right now. This is sufficient one who chose to make you to know him. And this God is good. He is the one good, truly good being in this entire universe we occupy. He is the one who lavishes his grace and his mercy on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. He gives grace, that is, the good that is not deserved. And he gives mercy, that is, he holds back the bad that is deserved. And he gives it to everyone, regardless of their deeds and their merits. He is the ultimate standard of the good life. He is the ultimate picture of good government. He is the ultimate understanding of good character. He is the ultimate image of good parenting. And without a vision of his goodness, we lose our way. And we settle for so much less. In a world where every other person you know will sooner let you down. Why? Because they're human. In a world where everybody you know, everyone that will be at your Thanksgiving table, everyone sitting around you now will let you down in time. God alone is absolutely trustworthy. He is the one sure, dependable, inviolable, trustworthy reality of your life. He is the one person whose promises you can confidently and consistently count on as your hope in this life and for the next life. You can trust him. You can trust God. 
And you can count on him because he is also loving at a level you will never meet anywhere else. Other people will care for you in a qualified way. Other people will be absolutely for you as long as you look a certain way or behave in a certain way toward them. They'll be for you. You can be the most miserable sinner on the planet and he will still love you desperately, perseveringly, passionately. And he will never forsake you or leave you. And he wills and he works for your good every moment of every day, whether you feel it or not. Never let your concept of God decay. Never let your understanding of him get stuck or shrunken. Never let it become the trite sentimentality with which spirituality so often speaks of God in our time. Never forget, he is holy also, beyond compare. The most intelligent and powerful and beautiful and virtuous person that earth has ever produced is but a disease-carrying insect in comparison to his staggering beauty and glory. There is no comparison. There is no suitable way of describing the mind-blowing glory of his holiness. He could obliterate us by simply showing it to us. That's all it would take. He could simply unveil his glory and the blinding purity of it would have an effect like a bug zapper on our sin and our life. But he doesn't. Instead, he sacrifices that which is his right. He lays down the supreme comfort and the superb companionship of heaven in order to come find you. God lays down the robes of his awesome splendor and takes on decaying mortal flesh to come alongside of you. He lays down his body on the cruelest instrument of death that humanity has yet devised in order to purchase forgiveness for you. And if you have asked him into your life, he is present, closer than your heartbeat, and he is powerful, working away in you He has defeated the power and the guilt of sin and death in your life. Your soul is redeemed. And he has given you an identity that your enemy Satan hopes you will not wake up to. Because in the moment you do, you will become the son or daughter that he knows. This is the God This is the God I've been hoping we could discover more fully over these weeks. And this is the God who is here with you right now. 
It can be summed up. He can be summed up in this simple confession. God is worthy. I mean, who or what could be more worthy of our focus than this God? For Christians, a vision of God's worthiness moves us to worship. In fact, the word worship comes from the word worthship. Didn't make that up. That's what worship originally meant. Worship is recognizing and responding to the worthiness of God. And as the quotation on the cover of your worship bulletin implies, worship is this act of being changed by an encounter with God. And the book of Revelation declares that one day those who have put our trust in Christ will find ourselves moved in worship towards him in a way that what we do here in this place is just the training wheels for. We're going to be called one day to an everlasting feast for which the thanksgiving tables will go to to this week are, again, just the training tables for. We will look around us on that day and we will see not just Uncle Harry and Grandma Sue, but we will see angelic beings of simply staggering beauty and intelligence and power so extraordinary in their being that we will fall on our faces before them in worship and they will say to us, no, no, look there, and we'll raise our eyes and Jesus, the great Lamb of God, will appear in all of his glory and we will weaken at the knees and fall down in enraptured love before the splendor of who he is, of what he has done. And how he reaches out to us. And we will cry. Along with the angelic host. You are worthy our Lord and God. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Worthy are you, O God, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And we will know then, we will absolutely know then as we can only begin to discover today how truly he has always been worthy of our full devotion. Moment by moment. This world will tend to obscure that fact. This world will tend to divert us. It will tend to distract us from this focus. This world will constantly be calling us to other activities. And some of them are needful, but they should not become our full preoccupation. In fact, some of these things to which we were called will be seem so important 
that it will be easy to let them become paramount. Raising our kids, doing our workaday jobs, going to our churches. These will become the preeminent things in our mind when they are penultimate to our focus on God. In fact, the Bible says, Lord, don't you care? Martha, this is Martha speaking here. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Please, I don't think she has said please actually, tell her to help me. This is how convinced Martha is that what she is doing is all important. And it will become easy to become convinced that the very good things we're doing are all important. But Jesus answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things, but only one thing is needed. One thing above all, Mary has chosen it. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. No, on the contrary, he implies, what she's doing will give and give and give to her and through her. Friends, do not let this world take it away from you. (laughs) Don't. Don't let the world take away your holy obsession to know him, to know more of him, to respond to more of who this God is, to listen to him, to live in him more deeply. It is truly the better way. In fact, I'd say it's the only way to find the wisdom and the power and the peace and the perspective that we need, that you and I need, that our world so desperately needs in our age. So, Really enjoy the people God is going to put around your table this week, will you? I mean, really enjoy them. And guys, drop the channel changer and help Martha. It'll be more peaceful in the house. But Lazarus and Martha alike... Enjoy the chance that Thanksgiving brings you to remember the one who is the all and all worthy of thanksgiving and praise. For the grave, it lies out there. I saw it again this week. And the clock is definitely ticking. And the note that he wrote to us in his own hand urges us to remember that every single minute together with him and one another is so very precious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.